Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. This episode of the Greener Way is a couple of firsts for us. It's our first repeat guest and our first book corner. We welcome back John Pabin, corporate sustainability consultant, former UN advisor and analyst and author. John, the guest's so nice, we had to have you twice. Hello. I am so honored. Thanks for having me. I didn't know this was going to be a first, but I'm uh, excited to be here. You're a trailblazer, John. <laughs> John, we're, we're having you on today because you've just launched another book, The Great Greenwashing. Um, so just start it off. Talk us through why you wrote it and what you're hoping readers will get out of it. Besides being an absolute lunatic for writing a book twice, and I, I don't know if I would recommend that to anybody, but uh, it was one of those amazing shower thoughts where you're sitting there and you're going, oh, that's a really good idea. But as we've come out the tail end of the pandemic, and yes, I totally understand we're still very much in it, uh, mm-hmm. I've started to notice, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, a, a massive uptick in greenwashing, but nobody mm-hmm. writing about it. So I thought, wait a minute, I did a bit of competitive analysis and realized most of the books were either way too academic, so literally textbooks, or they're about 10 years out of date. So I thought, okay, well, let's let's do this. Let's dump right, let's jump right in and, and do another <laughs> do another book. So I decided to do it all about greenwashing. And as I'm sure we'll get into, started to peel back lots of layers, had a lot of aha moments that took mm-hmm. the book from just being what I thought would be talking about corporations and brands into something much wider. Mm. Look, we're going to get into that a little bit later in the interview, particularly around state-sponsored greenwashing and sports washing and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but first, I wanted to sort of go through a couple of concepts that you introduce in, in the book, John, um, just for the enlightenment of our readers and to whet their appetite to go out and buy a copy of their own. John, you define three buckets of greenwashing in the book, um, green speak, misdirection, and green scamming. Um, what's the difference? They seem pretty similar to me. Yeah, absolutely. And if somebody is just to Google greenwashing, you're going to get a million different results. And that's super Mm -hmm. confusing. So I did want to boil it down as much as possible to make things easy to understand, but also easy to action. So that's how I came up with those three buckets. The first, like you said, is green speak. That's the stuff we see all the time. The the marketing, the semiotics, which is just a fancy marketing term for the use of colors and symbols to denote meaning. Mm -hmm. So it's the green package. It's the idyllic agricultural pictures of farmland. It's the beautiful commercial that you see where you know everybody's happy and living their best lives. So these things that denote a meaning of we're good for the environment, we're good for people, but the truth may be something that is a slightly different. I'm not saying all corporations are bad, but uh, sometimes they certainly are. That's the green speak. Then you look at the misdirection and the way I liken people to to remember that is to think of the Wizard of Oz. So Dorothy, all her friends, they get to see the great and powerful wizard. They're, they're shaking in their boots because there's the flames and the big head. But then little Toto goes and scurries to the side, pulls back the curtain and reveals the true snake oil salesman who says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And that's what's going on here. So look over here. Don't look over here. Look at this amazing picture of children on the front of our sustainability report, but not the child labor that may be happening in Bangladesh. Look at all mm. these numbers we've given to you because we're so transparent, but don't look too deep because you might find something we don't want you to. So misdirecting where your attention is. The third one, green scamming, that was the craziest one of all. And I didn't even, as a, as a professional, I didn't even know this was happening, but cashed up organizations, primarily those that are in the more polluting industries that we all know, 
Mm-hmm. They fund groups that are actually front groups for lobbying efforts to go against sustainable uh, sustainable efforts. So one of my mm-hmm. favorites is an organization. I think their name is something along the lines of the European Center for Scientific Research, something like that. Mm-hmm. But they're a front group for the oil companies. Then all they do is push out fake science and fake data that discredits climate change. So it's it's amazing the lengths that companies will go to to make all of our lives much more difficult. Hmm. And so what do you have any handy tips for uh, for our audience again without giving away, away too much as you ideally want people to go out and buy the <laughs> book as well. How do you combat each of those three buckets and is it do you have to as an individual consumer as maybe a member of a super fund where you have some organizing heft or a member of a or a company yourself or an organization do you handle those greenwashing incidences different whether it's green speak versus green scam? This question's come up quite a bit. And initially, my response was along the lines of do your research. And I know that's so boring Mm. and nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to actually pay more. I I get all of that. And it's totally true. But as I've teased this out a bit more, I think it really does come down to speaking with your wallet. And that Mm -hmm. goes across all three of those. And it depends, you know, what you're buying and where you're buying and where you're buying it from. But the power of the consumer is so large in changing corporate behavior, it really can't be Mm. understood. Stated. Now, does that absolve you of having to do research and pay a bit more at the at the till? No, of course it doesn't. But that's certainly step number one. I think step number two, and I was talking to somebody about this last night. I had my uh, book launch event last night, and this was definitely one of the questions that kept coming up. And I I thought, you know, we're in we're in Melbourne, and Melbourne has mm-hmm. access to such amazing local products and local innovative uh, companies that that is where you should really start if you have the opportunity. I know we're, we're unique here in this city, but we're not the only city in the world where we have access to things like that. So mm-hmm. going as local as possible, usually nine times out of 10 will get you over some of those issues around greenwashing because those types of organizations, they, they don't get away mm. with that sort of stuff. So mm. uh, speaking with your wallet, shopping local, and then trusting your gut as well. I think a lot of times we may not have the words to say what we're thinking, but I think most consumers do understand when they're being lied to. You read the back of a, a package and you kind of go, oh, that sounds a little too markety for me. So if that's the mm-hmm. case, trust your gut. Look, I find it, you know, again, I'm also in the People's Republic of Melbourne, like you, John. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, even I find it, it it can be, you do have to stay vigilant, right? If you're, you know, going to go to, um, you know, Kmart and buy a pair of leggings, you know, uh, you know, taking, resisting that, you know, having that instinct to look at the label, maybe Google a little bit, maybe find out a little bit more of their sustainable, you know, supply chain um, issues like that. It does take a bit of effort to overcome that kind of, you know, that sort of consumer inertia, doesn't it? Absolutely, it does. And if I had a crystal ball, and this is kind of based on my my experience working with corporations as well, I know we're mm-hmm. stuck in this time period where we have, like I said, we have to do the research, we have to pay more at the till. I don't mm-hmm. think that's going to be the case in 10 years. I think co- companies have now entered this this virtuous cycle where they're not just competing on the, the bottom line, which of course they do, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But they're also competing on being more ethical, more sustainable, better for the planet and for the people. It's a small mm-hmm. segment of corporations that are doing that. That, but it's definitely happening. And that'll just continue to ratchet up. And what happens then, the, one of the few benefits of capitalism is then all of that is going to cause companies that don't play ball to 
fall by the wayside. So mm. 10, 15 years from now, hopefully, if, if I'm right, and please fact check me if I'm wrong in 10 years. You, you can come back and it'll be your third or perfect. fourth or probably 12th appearance. <laughs> um, I definitely hope that in that, that period of time, we'll then go to the shelf and 99% of the work will have been done for us and all decisions we make will be good decisions. I suppose the other E that goes into that, you know, if ethical, environmental, equitable, Mm -hmm. I think probably would be the third one because, you know, um, you know, without being too, you know, uh, cliche about checking your privilege and stuff, the ability to pay more for a product at a time when cost of living is hitting a lot of people in the hip pocket. That's a big ask as well, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. And I think the important thing to remember, especially as we're, we're going through this unfortunate period of time, which seems to be every time over the past decade is an unfortunate mm. period of time we've lived through, mm. but that you one doesn't have to be perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect environmentalist or a perfect mm. person. So where you can make a positive difference, do so, but don't feel obligated, especially when things are stretched so thin, to try mm. to do it all because it's it's just not possible to do so. Fantastic. Um, another bunch of categories you got into in your book, John, was... Um, rating the co- categories of companies and their greenwashing, sort of the the the, the overlap being the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, although you, you give them different names. <laughs> um, can you go into sort of the categories um, and how they relate to helping people avoid greenwashing? Absolutely. And when we think about corporations and different industries, we think, oh, there has to be like hundreds of them. But there's mm. not. It all kind of mm. boils down to about 25 different industries around the world. And that's that's pretty much it. So it, mm. that, that makes it a lot more manageable. And on, yep. if we look at it through the lens of sustainability and or greenwashing, on one end of the scale, you have what I call the unsustainable, the, the worst of the worst. We know who these guys mm-hmm. are. They're the mm-hmm. oil and gas companies, coal, mining, defense, and tobacco are usually mm-hmm. the worst of the worst. That no matter what they do, no matter what they claim and what they say, they can never be sustainable unless they put themselves out of business. That's the only Mm -hmm. way. So hate to use the phrase, but they're the lost causes. They get put in one bucket. On the other end of the scale are those that are in highly regulated industries that tend to be better than most, not perfect, but better than the rest. So pharma, medtech, healthcare, uh, finance, even though I don't touch finance at all in the book, because that's Mm. such a black box, I left that to the economists. But they sit at the other end of the scale. So doing better, but not perfect. Mm. The other 15 or so sit in the middle. So varying degrees of success, varying degrees of being sustainable, incorporating greenwashing. And I think at this stage, it's important as well to remember that greenwashing comes in lots of different forms. On mm-hmm. one end, you know, you have those that are maybe accidentally greenwashing. Maybe they're just starting their sustainability journey. They fudge a number. They say the wrong thing. That's okay. Not giving them a pass, but we can do something. We can fix that. But then Mm. there's greenwashing that's built into the marketing mix that is nefarious that we do need to really be concerned about. And in each sector, each industry, that changes depending on what company you're talking about and what industry that is. So fast fashion is definitely Mm -hmm. towards the unsustainable, but still in the realm of we can fix that, in my mind at least. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then you have those that are maybe in... I know agriculture, or I talk about fa- uh, fast-moving consumer goods, so consumer mm-hmm. products, food products, agriculture, all these sort of industries. These are still, while some may have given up hope, I haven't yet, and I don't know if that's Pollyanna-ish, but I think we can still fix them. And so they sit squarely in the middle of those organizations we can do something with. Uh, I'm glad you brought up fast fashion because I wanted to ask you particularly why you were drilling into that. I mean, I felt 
such a huge amount of empathy when I was reading that part of your book, when you were talking about going around the table and talking about your guilty secret <laughs> of sustainability, you at least, your Uniqlo has its own particular cachet. Mine is um, I, Kmart. I love a Kmart bargain, John. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> we all love a Kmart bargain. <laughs> so why the special focus on fast fashion? Is it something that, you know, you find it tends to be everybody sort of, I know better, but... Um, or is it because it was that introduction of the psychology of stuff concept you bring in? I think it's a mixture of both. So um, in, for those for those of you listening, I do call out fast fashion and they get their own special section, which is unique to all the other industries I talked about. And I think it's because it is the, the whole industry is so loaded, right? We have our preconceived mm. notions of what it is. We're all also complicit in using it. I don't think there's a single person that doesn't contribute to the fast fashion industry. Uh, and mm -hmm. there's a lot to unpack with it as well, because as I was mentioning a second ago, they sit so on the cusp of potentially going into that unsustainable territory. I thought by devoting a little bit more time and attention to it, maybe we mm -hmm. can use that to pull them back from the edge. Uh, out of all the other industries that are sitting in that middle section of, of, of categorization, they're the ones closest to teetering. So I did want to give mm. them just a little bit of a special attention. And I think it's the one we can do the most about too, because it's the one we kind of all have our little tentacles in. Yeah, I think that, and that's an interesting point. And, you know, another thing that I really appreciated about the book, John, was the fact that there was, this is what wasn't gloom and doom. It wasn't sort of, you know, standing at the top of the mountain and, you know, saying everything is terrible, but like there's access points for the reader if if I'm reading it correctly. Um, and I, you know, where are there other areas that there's access points um, in terms of, you know, action that an ordinary person in the street can do to sort of start moving the dial on, you know, managing uh, managing greenwashing with an eye to actually making things more sustainable. Yeah, it definitely goes back to that idea of speaking with your wallet. And every time mm. I say it, I sound it sounds so trite and markety, but it is it is so true mm. that that's the only thing that's ever moved the needle when it comes to corporations is whether mm. or not consumers are buying their stuff. So again, when you get to the store, when you have that gut reaction of, oh, that sounds really schmarmy on the back of that pack, I'm not going to trust that. I'm going to go with this thing that, yeah, may cost a few cents more, but maybe mm -hmm. that helps me rest a little easier that I've done an okay thing by purchasing this or that product. Or just saying, you know, kind of, and it goes to that psychology of stuff that you mentioned a second ago, reversing or changing how we think about our purchasing behaviors, where it's no longer a cost, but an investment. And I think that is mm -hmm. particularly uh, salient when it comes to when it comes to the fashion industry writ large, where if you spend, and I know I'm speaking from a position of privilege, I get that, but if you're spending mm. a, a little bit more buying a certain piece and you're buying with quality over quantity, that thing's mm -hmm. going to stretch a lot further. It's going to last a lot longer. So in the end, you're probably saving yourself money. So the initial mm -hmm. outlay uh, and looking at purchasing behaviors a little bit differently than we currently do. I have a friend who has the phrase and she uses it all the time. Um, when you spend your money, you're voting for the world you want to see, which is always, I love, which I love very much. Now, the the, the area that sort of surprised me the most and the what the part of the book I want to go back and reread with a lot more uh, attention the second time around is this concept of state-sponsored greenwashing, John. Um, why did you include it in this book? And, and what is state-sponsored greenwashing? 
All credit goes to Polly Hemming, actually, who wrote mm-hmm. an amazing front page piece last year in the Saturday paper called State Sponsored mm-hmm. Greenwashing. I don't know if she coined the term, but I ran with it uh, because yeah. the more and more I started to peel back the layers of the corporate part of the book, I realized, oh, I have a lot more work to do now because there was greenwashing happening all over the place, including with governments. Mm-hmm. There's an amazing resource called the Climate Action Tracker, and it's a website that shows how well countries are doing versus their agreed Paris Climate Accords, uh, goals that they set for themselves. Mm -hmm. There are exactly zero countries on track to meet their Paris Climate Accord agreements, Mm -hmm. which I think come up in 2025. So Mm -hmm. no country is doing great. Every country has work to do, but it goes into greenwashing when we see countries really wrapping themselves in this language of doing good, when the policies that are happening in the background might not be such. And we see this mm-hmm. really bald face when it comes to the Petro states. Uh, anybody who's mm-hmm. been on social media in the last two years has seen Mohammed bin Salam's big marquee project of the Neom project, which is supposed to be this futuristic eco city in the north of Saudi Arabia and the jewel in its crown of the line. We see these videos of the line. Mm-hmm. But unless the line is going to entirely upset the way Saudi Arabia makes money, there's no way any of it could be sustainable, it does become greenwashing. Mm. The same thing is going on here closer to home. So Australia, you think clean, green, people get images of, of Sydney Harbour and the beauty, but you don't have to go too many hours outside of New South Wales to see a Donnie digging massive holes in the ground because mm-hmm. our entire economy is propped up on highly polluting industries. So, and these are not the only countries, as I mentioned a second ago, you know, no country mm. is is doing what they should and no country is perfect. So this idea of state-sponsored greenwashing, wrapping yourself in the language of sustainability when your policies are not really building a sustainable future is not, definitely not the direction we want to be going in. So what's the remedy there, John? Is this, you know, being more active citizens in terms of voting without, you know, obviously skewing political, but what's the lever for the person on the street when it comes to things like state-sponsored greenwashing? My big take, and I do get pushback, especially from activists on this, is Mm. if we look at the three, what I would call the three big actors of, of pushing the needle for a more sustainable future. You have individuals, people power, you have governments, Mm -hmm. and you have the private sector, so corporations. I think at this stage of the game, people power has been amazing, but the problems have become so large, we can only do so much. As Mm -hmm. I mentioned a second ago, governments seem to have washed their hands of doing anything. So that does really leave the private sector to be doing the lion's share of the work. In fairness, they got us in the mess, so it should be up to Mm. them to clean it up. But they Mm. also have the resources, capacity, and finances that people and governments just don't have. So it should Mm. be on them. So we go back to this idea of speaking with your wallet and really leveraging the power of the corporate sector as much as possible. I think that would probably and has probably gone a lot further than any campaigns that we can do to try to uh, stop Adani, even though I know that's an extremely successful campaign in Australia, or change governments, which only happens every two or four years, depending where you live. And changing policies takes even longer. So if we do want to see quasi-immediate positive impact, I would definitely mm-hmm. put the put the impetus on the private sector and getting the biggest bang for the buck there. Although theoretically, all of the things you talk around in the book are yes and. You can do oh, a lot of different things. <laughs> Everything's a yes and. I did. I, I studied stand up. Everything's a yes and. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, John, as we're drawing to the close of our time together, um, what is that last? I mean, obviously, voting with your wallet, you know, and spending for the future you want to see would probably be one message. But, you know, is there a hopeful message out of this book that you're hoping that people walk away with? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as much as all of this is sort of doom and gloom, I I tend not to ascribe to that. I call myself a pragmatic altruist, so a realist, Mm. but definitely somebody who wears my heart on my sleeve and and does have a positive image for the future. And I think beyond what we've already talked about, so this idea of speaking with your wallet, the idea that in 10 or 15 years' time, all of these great decisions will have been made for you, as well as companies, again, reiterating, have a lot of them have already entered this virtuous cycle of being better, doing better, and doing better for the planet. The mm-hmm. biggest thing that I can remind people is not to fall prey to doomism because there's mm. so much of that out there. Uh, you know, peeking behind the the curtain, a lot of it is pushed by these groups that are green scamming groups. So the data is not even real. The scientific info is false. So don't fall for it. Don't fall for this idea of even looking at some of the stuff the UN and the IPCC puts out, which is very much uh, doom and gloom headlines. Mm. Don't. Yes, listen to it, but take it with a grain of salt, because I think there's so much we can be doing. I think there is so much hope for the future. A lot of people look at all of this and think, oh, we're we're screwed. We're not screwed. <laughs> there's plenty of runway still for us to make positive change. Will we have to adapt? Sure. Are we adapting? Yes, we're doing great things adapting, but the earth will survive. We will survive, but only if we don't fall for the doomism, only if we continue to do the amazing things that we've been doing for so long. Fantastic. I think that'll be a good podcast title. Uh, John Pabin, we're not screwed. (laughs) John, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Greener Way. John Pabin, author of The Great Greenwashing. Thank you for your time. Excellent. Thanks for having me on again. Great Great to reconnect. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Greener Way podcast. If you liked today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allen Backus. The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.